0: Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church, Owasso, Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. This week for many of us was a heavy and hard week. And as I thought about how I deal with hard weeks, I found myself thinking again about the totality of what Scripture says about God's faithfulness to us. Uh, Lord and I have um, on, our, uh, on our bedspread uh, embroidered on a blanket our wedding verse, which was um, Habakkuk 3. Though the fig tree withers and there be no fruit on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, that the sheep are cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet will we re- rejoice, will rejoice in the God of our salvation? And when I thought about my own prayer life, coming to the end of a series thinking about prayer, what is it that personally drives me? It may not be the same for you, but what drives me to really understand prayer better is to. Let the idea that I am a child of God marinate my soul. J.I. Packer one time said that one of the greatest gifts, one of the essences of knowing that you are a Christian is that understanding that your prayer life can never be better than your grasp of your adoption in Christ. For everything that Christ taught, J.I. Packer says... Everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old. Everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And I wonder if you pray like that. Because we want you to rest in prayer to learn what it means to pray as sons and daughters like you're accepted before him because you are. And that should drive the way that we come before him and we pray. Yes, with boldness. Yes, with confession. Yes, with fierce honesty. Yes, with all of our emotions because he can handle all of them. Whether you're angry or mad or sad or you're blue, he can handle them. And so today we are going to learn how God is glorified in our understanding of adoption. And we're going to do that by looking at the whole of what Scripture says. Because as I began to study this passage, the Lord's Prayer, I got to the first two words and I just stopped. <laughs> because do you realize how amazing it is that we can pray our Father? He is your Father. Do you know how amazing that is? Do you know how God had moved heaven and earth in order for you and me, sinners who become saints because of our union with him, we can cry out to him as our father. So that when we have lost our parents or we have lost those who are close to us or when we have gone through incredibly hard times, we never lose our father. Our father. When Jesus said those words when he was teaching his disciples to pray, (laughs) Is a bombshell. Why? Genesis 1:26 and 20, uh, through 28. God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. And so God created man in his own image. You know the story. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And we can trust his faithfulness because he made us the crowning jewel of his creation. He made man last. He said that man is the one who is going to be made in the image of God. And now that man is on the scene, God said it is very good. But it didn't take long, did it? (laughs) Oh, it didn't take long. Man fell from sin. There was fratricide. Cain killed Abel. The flood came. And soon we're building towers for ourselves in Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. Genesis 11, 1 and 2. And the people migrated from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. But we can trust his faithfulness because our own instinct of self-preservation that we seek was fulfilled attempted to be fulfilled not by trusting God as we should have but by exalting ourselves rather than his name but God didn't give up on us in Genesis chapter 12 just the next chapter he called a man who is the son of a moon worshiper named Abram and he said to Abram go from your country and your kindred and your father's house into the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You want to have a great name, O mankind? You trust in my faithfulness. And unlike Babel, God called Abraham. And he, God, made man's name great. Because he drew man to find rest in his covenant promises. And Abraham trusted God in contrast to the builders of the Tower of Babel. And the children of Abraham were chosen by God, not because they were holy, but because God set his love upon them, just like he has set his love upon you. Not by any of your good works, so that none of us should boast. And then we find the Exodus, and we read in Ezekiel chapter 20. Thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt, and I swore to say, I am the Lord your God, and I swore to them on that day that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, and a land flowing with milk and honey. But I acted, Ezekiel 20 verse 9, why? For the sake of my name that it should not be profaned. Do you see his faithfulness? We try to make a great name for ourselves, and God says, you want to make a great name? I will make your name great as I draw you to me, because I and passionately in pursuit of the glory of my name because I am the Lord God. And God answered the idolatrous Israel. Rather than wiping them out, he says that I will not let you be wiped out for the sake of my fame and my name. Isn't that amazing? He adopts Israel as his own people just like he adopts you and me as his own You know, adoption is a strange thing. There are amazing stories of adoption in this church. There are stories that are so powerful, they are your stories to tell to others. People traveling to China and to Russia and to Africa to to receive their children. People going to parts of the city that are foreign to them or areas that are unknown to them to go and to, to find their son or their daughter and call them by name. There was a, a woman I, I uh, heard about this week who's a secretary at the front office of, of a high school, not in town, but her name is Gigi Keene. And there was a girl that, her name was Macy, that had been in the foster care system all of her life. And, and she had just given up hope of ever being part of a family. And this school came alongside her and helped her get through high school. And six months before she turned 18, Ron and Gigi Keen, together with their children Carolyn and Christopher adopted Macy into their family and they welcomed her with all of the needs that she had because to be adopted is beautiful and you know those stories of adoption too don't you in the ancient world you would adopt a virtuous servant or a relative in the Roman world you would find a virtuous young man who is perhaps serving within your household and you would adopt him as your own or Caesars would often adopt sons to follow them on the throne in the USA we tend to adopt cute children we love to bring them home but in the gospel in scripture God adopts the most sinful hideous idolatrous people and he brings them to himself and he puts his mark upon us and he sings over us with his love. That is amazing good news of grace and God answers every one of our prayers in the way that we would want God to answer them if we knew everything that God knows and he treats us as sons and as daughters And He does so because He invites us to take joy in the glory and the fame of His name. That's why when the Westminster Divines were writing the Shorter Catechism for children, the very first question is what? What is the chief end of man? What is man's real purpose? Answer, the chief end of man is what? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He is calling you into this story of trusting in His faithfulness because God is not done. He takes them out of Egypt. And what does he do next? Well, he hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why? So that I will get glory, he says in Exodus chapter 14. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I have gotten glory over Pharaoh. I will get glory even over his chariots and his horsemen. Exodus 14 verse 18. We can trust his faithfulness because he gave up nations for you. He delivered you from Egypt. This isn't Israel's story. This is your story. Your adoption story. But he didn't end there. He brought them up to the wilderness. In Ezekiel chapter 20, he says, But the house of Israel yet again rebelled against me in the wilderness. And they did not walk in my statutes, but they rejected my rules. But I acted for the sake of my name. That it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. I withheld my hand of wrath and I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. He says again, in whose sight I had brought them out. We can trust God's faithfulness because he's going to act for the sake of his name. Amen? And He has brought you into that story. Take your greatest delight in glorifying him because he will not let his name be profaned. And he's going to make your name great as he brings you to himself and satisfies you as a son and a daughter of the king in ways you could only dream of, now in part. And one day, when he comes again in full, and it didn't just stop in the wilderness, but he goes on. The conquest of Canaan in Joshua chapter 24, he says, I sent the hornet before you which drove them out and the two kings of the Amorites, but it was not by your sword or by your bow, but my my might that I gave you a land that you had not labored for and cities that you had not built for you to dwell in them. Now therefore fear the Lord your God and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness and put away the gods of your forefathers that they serve beyond the river and serve me for the sake of my name. The book of Joshua records the conquest that every drop of blood shed in the Old Testament, every drop of blood shed in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. They were pictures of the links to which God would go to bring fame to his name and protect a people that He has adopted and called to himself. An amazing act of grace that he would draw us who believe in him to himself, You can trust his faithfulness, friends, because this is your adoption story. In the beginning of the monarchy, in Second Samuel chapter 7, who is was like your people Israel, David praised, the one nation on earth that you went to redeem to be a people, making yourself known by doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself, a nation like Egypt and all of its gods. And later in 1 Samuel chapter 12, God says, For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. When David prays in Psalm 25, he says, For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. In Psalm 23, the famous psalm most of you have memorized, He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Listen, the point is to say that when you understand that you've been adopted by your father who is passionate for his name's sake and he wants to make your name great by drawing you to himself to take joy in the fame of his name, then you begin to even more deeply trust his faithfulness. This is your adoption story. When the temple was built and Solomon dedicated, notice what is it, the the silver thread that we hear. He said, likewise, when a foreigner who is not your people comes to Israel, comes from a far country, for your namesake, would you hear in heaven and would you forgive and bring in that the whole earth may know your name and fear and do as your people Israel have been commanded. And so Solomon says, Lord, would you look toward the city that you have chosen and the house that you have built for your name? Then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. Solomon built the temple as a recapitulation, as a reminder of what the garden once was as a place of God's holy dwelling place, as a place where the children of God could come and worship him in truth and purity. And it was built for the sake of his name. This is your adoption story. And you can trust his faithfulness. In the deliverance in the times of the kings in 2 Kings chapter 19, for I will defend this city to save it God says, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David, God defended Israel against Sennacherib and the Assyrians for the sake of his name. In the exile and the promised restoration in Isaiah chapter 48, he says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my name, I restrain myself for you that I may not cut you off. For my own namesake, for my own namesake, I should do it. How should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. Listen, God is so passionate for his own namesake and he will be glorified. Even as he takes us through hills and valleys that we do not understand. And don't you see that he is glorifying his namesake to bring us into his family to give us a name? That we might, as his adopted children, pray like we really believe we are accepted. Because God is not an angry judge looking down upon us, weighing the merits of our prayers. And if they're the right words or they're the right things to ask for, God is a father who has his arms wide to us and says, bring me your anger. Bring me your bitterness. Bring me your sin. Confess it to me. I, I can take it. Do you pray like a son or a daughter of the king, or do you pray like an orphan? You can trust his faithfulness because he's passionate for his name's sake. Or what about after the exile when they come back to the land to rebuild the temple? Zechariah says, And I will be to her that is the city of Jerusalem, a wall of fire all around her, declares the Lord. I will be the, their glory in their midst. Or Haggai eight, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified. All throughout the post-exilic prophets, the same silver thread of grace. God is passionate for his namesake and he is inviting the people of God into that. And therefore, we can pray our Father, because this is our adoption story—the life of Christ and the incarnation in John 17:4. I, that is Jesus, glorified you, praying to His Father on earth, having accomplished that which you gave me to do. Even Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, pours out praise to His Father to glorify the name of our triune God. Jesus says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. Jesus' all-consuming desire and deepest purpose on earth was to fulfill his Father's will by glorifying him, even at the cost of his life. In the Christian life, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, what? Do all to the glory of God. First Peter chapter 4, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves. They do so by the strength that God supplies in order that everything, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In the second coming, in the consummation, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal damnation who glory in their own name and don't seek the Lord's glory. And they will be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. In the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation chapter 21, the city has no need of a moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord gives it its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And in John 17, 24, Jesus prays, Father, I desire that also that they whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Friends, this is your adoption story. That your Father in heaven has rescued and redeemed a people for himself that we read about all throughout the Old Testament. And he has pledged himself to you, and the proof of that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has called you to be adopted, to call you a son, a daughter of the king. And it is the most precious privilege that we have as Christians to understand our adoption. Justification by faith is this idea that we are forgiven of our sins and given a righteousness. It's a forensic idea, but adoption, adoption is the tender embrace of a father who loves you, not of a judge, but of a tender father who says, you are mine. And he sings over us his love for his namesake. Why can we trust his faithfulness? Because God is passionate for his namesake, and he wants also to give you a name. Just like he gave Macy Keene a name, who was adopted by the secretary in the front office of her high school. And if you were to ask Macy today, does it matter what her past is? It doesn't matter what she looks like. If you were to ask her today, as a 20-something Macy, are you part of the Keene family? There's nothing you could do to convince her that she wasn't a part of that family. And so, Christian, I ask you, why are you so easily convinced that you're going to find a better name outside of what Christ has provided for you? Why is it that you fret so much over money? Why is it that you fret so much over your children and whether you're being the perfect parent? Why is it that you're not going to the Lord to recite His goodness, express your neediness, seek His stillness, and trust in His faithfulness? Because this is what adopted children do. And we are never going to do it perfectly. Of course not. Not until glory. But what a privilege it is to be able to pray like you're accepted. So would you, would you see that in Scripture, it is not just a dry story about a people named Israel that you get confused about when the kings came, when the exile happened, and when they returned, and what they did. Would you see it as your story? It is your story of how God has called you to be his own, and he has done so even at the cost of his own son. And so we pray, our Father. It is not just a pattern, but it is the posture of our lives, Trinity Presbyterian Church. Our position, our status, our adoption in Christ points us to pray to him to live, to enjoy what it means to be children of God. And our sonship, of course, is not equal to Jesus's because he was eternally divine and is fully human. But yet our inheritance is the same. And the glory and the beauty and the praise of God's triune name has been given to you, O Christian. Would you pray... In light of the name that you've always wanted to have, that is now yours in Christ, you can trust his faithfulness because he is passionate for his name's sake and he has placed his name upon you. Do you believe it? Let's pray together.